Welcome to Unbroken Jars. I'm Doug. And I'm Randy. And this is a podcast where we explore individuals, real life stories, and real faith. You're listening to Unbroken Jars, episode 14, A Sheep Following a Good Shepherd. The light of Jesus shines through the darkness, and we carry this light in unbroken jars of clay. We have a life and a story about our faith journey, but we're not struck down or destroyed. Our stories shine the light on Jesus and His power. Our faith walk has forever been shaped by the life of one man, Jesus. Jesus continues to use real-life stories of those around us to mold us. We dive into this world by investigating, interviewing, and walking alongside real people who share their stories, their faith stories of struggle, sin, joy, and victory, and how God is leading them will help shape your faith journey in unbroken jars of clay. Today, we're, we're excited to have Don Gardner joining us from right here in Huntsville, Alabama, where Doug and I both live as well. I've known Don for a lot longer than I hate to admit. Um, back in the 80s, and in fact, Don reminded me today, 40 years ago this month, in fact, we, we first met at a Procter & Gamble plant that at the time was located in Huntsville. And he was one of the engineers that had just been recently been hired there. A few, years, a few years later, while serving as a youth minister, I came across a series of inspirational videos for teens produced by Lee Milam, and it contained in that series a one called Little Big Man featuring this guy. Little did I know, uh, a few years later, our paths would come together again as we both are attending the same church here at Mayfair. Don has an amazing story, and our goal in this conversation today is to allow him time to share some of it with you. Don, I want to thank you for taking the time to join us, and I want to welcome you to the Unbroken Jars podcast. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I'm really thrilled to be here. I uh... I've had an opportunity to listen to several of your episodes, and uh, I've really enjoyed it. It's really inspiring to uh, hear other people's stories as well. Well, thank you. Thank you. Well, we appreciate your willingness to come on here. But So by way of introducing yourself, kind of, for those listening, this is kind of what we do on everyone. Tell us a little bit about your, your, your childhood, where you lived, how long you've been in Huntsville, career type stuff. You know, what? tell us a little bit about you. Don. Okay. Um, I was actually born, I'm 62 now, so I was born in 1958. Uh, my family at that time was in Andalusia, Alabama, down in South Alabama. Yeah. And, South uh, Alabama folk. Yeah, I was South Alabama boy. And uh, we uh, lived there for a couple of years, moved to Gadsden. And then when I was six years old, uh, 1964, we came to Huntsville. And uh, I had the opportunity to enroll in school at Madison Academy. And so I've got a lot of friendships from, from those days. Uh, but that has been a real big influence in my life. As far as I, I trace a lot of my, what Bible knowledge I have uh, back to those days from my, you know, my daily Bible classes and things of that nature. Uh, in 1973, my dad got a uh, job offer in Auburn. And so we went down there and uh, I graduated from Auburn High School in 1976. Then uh, I took a couple of years and went to uh, Alabama Christian College, which is now Faulkner University. Yeah. But back in those days, it was a two-year school. So 
1978, they said, we've had enough of you. And they <laughs> sent me to Auburn. And uh, I graduated from Auburn in 1981 with a degree in industrial engineering. And I came to uh, Huntsville. And uh, it was at that time, June of 1981, that I met Randy. Uh, he mentioned we were working for Procter & Gamble. And, uh, you know, I don't think I've ever told Randy this, but that six, I was only there for six months. That it was just one of those situations where the job in me didn't work out. It wasn't a, it wasn't a good match for me. But uh, in the midst of all those dark clouds, my friendship with Randy was probably the shining light and all of that. Yeah. That was really a benefit to me. Um, so guy. he was the kind of guy I turned to when. Uh, and then, of course, like Randy said, we we kind of lost track of each other for a few years until he came to to Mayfair. But uh, it's been 40 years ago this month that we uh, that we met, so that's been a, a pretty uh, significant relationship there. Um, anyway, uh, after the six months at Procter and Gamble that didn't work out too well, uh, I went to I got a job on Redstone Arsenal, and uh, fast forward to where we are now. After 34 and a half years uh, as a federal employee, I retired in 2016 as a federal employee. And I wasn't really ready to end my career yet, so um, I had a friend of there who worked for uh, S-Cubed Incorporated here in town, the local contractor, and so they hired me back on, uh, and I worked almost three years for them doing that. So when I walked out the door, uh, interestingly enough, two years ago this month, a lot of things happened in June, I guess, but anyway, uh, when I left there two years ago, um, I had 37 years on Redstone Arsenal and wow. career, so it's it's been a very rewarding career. They couldn't uh, get rid of you, huh? I said they couldn't get rid of you. They couldn't get rid of me. That's right. Yeah. I, uh, I don't I don't miss that thing of sitting in that long line at the gate at six thirty in the morning. I don't miss that at all. Oh, yeah. But uh, mm-hmm. but I but I I, mean, I really enjoyed my career. I got a lot of great friendships from that. Uh, it's been amazing uh, since that time. Uh, I've been involved with, I've been doing World Bible School here at Mayfair. That's really been a rewarding thing to be involved in teaching the Bible. I'm kind of a backup teacher with Sunday School um, for Scott McDonald. I kind of fill in here and there when he's out of town. And uh, then uh, uh, Wednesdays, I'm involved with the uh, men's uh, Bible class on Wednesdays and also the Joy Bible class. And so... uh, yeah, I found my niche. I, I thought retirement would, would lead me bored, but it hasn't. It hasn't a bit. I'm staying busy. And if you don't know Don uh, and you want to know something to start off a conversation with him on, talk sports because uh, oh, yeah. he's a big sports fan. Auburn Tigers, Atlanta Braves, the Madison Academy Mustangs, uh, probably in that order because uh, we get into discussions sometimes about Auburn and Alabama football. Uh, but, but, I, but I do have to mention the Trash Pandas because I think you've got season tickets possibly. I've got season tickets for the Rocket City Trash Pandas. That was one of the things um, after I retired a couple of years ago. It took me a few months to decide, am I going to am I gonna do that? Because that's a commitment for a lot of nights uh, of baseball. But I've really enjoyed it. I've missed one game so far this year, home game. But I've also attended one road game. I went up to Chattanooga and saw one of those games. So I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, to be honest with you, getting out at night and going to the ball games after we've been through this pandemic uh, where we stayed at home so much, that's really been 
to me it's actually made me feel younger i feel like i'm getting out like a, a kid again <laughs> and uh so that's that's been a good thing for me i i i could uh I can live at the ballpark. I just love, I love baseball. So that's been a great thing for me. You and my wife. Now we, we, I didn't know that. Yo, Jessica's a huge, we watch the Braves every night. Oh man. Every every night. Oh yeah. We got something to talk about after this. We'll, we'll, we'll we'll catch up. But, um, so for those of you who don't know Don, you know, he's facing pretty significant challenges in his life. Um, he has a condition known as osteogenesis imperfecta. And I may not have said that. You did it perfect. Perfecta. Um, well, and it's it's known as OL, I think. OI. I meant, and and it's also known as brittle bone disease. Right. right? Uh, Don, can, can you tell us a little bit about uh, about osteogenesis imperfecta? I can't do it twice. Okay. <laughs> osteogenesis right, let me, let me, imperfecta. There we go. Let me break it down. First of all, the word osteo is bone. Right. That's a bone for bone. Genesis, as every Bible scholar knows, is in the beginning. Right. So it's a hereditary disease. It is not something that you can acquire at a certain point in your life. If you have it, you're born with it. Mm. It's hereditary. Um, a lot of genetic research about, you know, I dealt with this thing when I was younger. Of course, I never married, and so it wasn't really an issue for me. But if I had married it, you know, there would have been a risk of passing it on to a child sure. if I did. And I've got friends who have had perfectly normal children and then others that had children with OI. So, you know, it's, I don't know. It, it's it's in the Lord's hands. It's, it's something we can't really decide. But um, there are several different types of OI. The most common is one called OI type 1, which the people with OI type 1 have brittle bones, but they look physically like anybody else. They can be normal size and everything, just the bones are brittle. Obviously, that's not my type that I have. I have what's called OI type 3, and type 3 uh, includes stunted growth. We're usually relatively small. I'm 3 feet 6 inches tall, which if you if you kind of put that on a common element, it's about an eye level to a doorknob, okay? So <laughs> it's kind of about where it puts me. Um, so uh, I look at a lot of doorknobs. And so, um, yeah. but but it's also in kind of a lot of, of uh, skeletal deformities, bones that are not, they're not uh, straight, they're not structured right uh, or whatever. And so, which creates some problems sometimes functionally uh, in you know, a joint that rotates out or a bone that's bowed or something of that nature. So there's a lot of issues there with OI type 3. I left out OI type 2, but that's one that is actually normally, um, sometimes we see cases of, of children born with very severe OI who don't survive. And that's, a, you know, that's basically if someone tells you they're OI type 2, um, you kind of look at them with kind of question because, I don't. I think there may be some rare cases of OI type two children that did survive uh, infancy, but uh, mm-hmm. as a general rule, there's a lot of them that pass away. Um, the one other thing that I'll, I'll bring up and more significant to me is I, I talked to a friend of mine about this yesterday. Uh, life expectancy. Who knows? Um, it's probably better now than it used to be. But one of the issues uh, that people with OI have to deal with is respiratory problems because many of us, like myself, have what's called a barrel chest, a barrel-shaped chest. And so 
if you're taking an adult body and you're putting it in that smaller frame, that creates some problems with internal organs sometimes. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it can create respiratory problems. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that's very sobering to me is I have a list in my head of friends that have had OI who have gone on to be with the Lord younger than I am. And that's kind of sobering to me because I realize, hey, you know, every day is a blessing. You don't, there's no guarantee how long any of us are going to be here. Yeah. And so um, I've been very blessed. I, I, I tell myself sometimes if I'm still here today, the Lord had a reason for it. And so yeah. that's. Uh, you've already, you've already kind of alluded to this, Doc. You know, can you, if you don't mind, share, you know, what are some of the physical challenges you, you face? Like, you know, I mean, things that we probably would take for granted kind of maybe just talk about some of that well for one thing uh for those that don't know me i walk with a walker i use a, a walker with wheels and so uh of course getting that in and out of the car and doing things like that in fact this last week i just got a new one and this one's a, a, a lot better but it's a little bit heavier so i'm going through that challenge right now of figuring out you know, getting it in and out of the vehicle and everything like that that's something that most of us people think about getting in and out of a car they don't even think about it you know, right. it's just a natural right. thing. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's not. In fact, um, I shared something with somebody the other day. Uh, the last time I bought a new vehicle, probably about three years ago, and um, the last vehicle I had had running boards on it. Well, I could step up on the running board mm -hmm. and then step from the running board into the vehicle. Well, bought the vehicle, I ordered the running boards, and the guy came back after I got the vehicle, and he said, there's no way to mount the running boards on this vehicle, the way the, the frame is structured. Mm. He said, you know, you can't do it outside of a major modification. So I got thinking, all right, what am I going to do now? So I finally decided you can do one of two things. When you're faced with an obstacle, you can remove the obstacle, which would basically put the running board there, but you couldn't do that. Or you can train yourself to overcome the obstacles. Mm -hmm. And so what I started doing was I said, I'm going to figure out how to get in this vehicle without having anything to step up on. And that, that first step from the ground up to the, to the van, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a minivan, that first step's a tough one. I do it all the time now. It, it, it basically meant I had to be a little bit stronger. I had to push myself a little bit. But I did. It took a while. Uh, there, was, there were several times getting in the vehicle the first time. Like, how did I do this last time? <laughs> you know? uh, but I think the whole point here is uh, we deal with a lot of architectural barriers. Um, uh, you know, elevators and, and things of that nature uh, as opposed to stairways, you know, uh, I'm one of those guys that doesn't like stairs, you know, because it's it, it's not easy to, to handle them. Um, but you you find ways. You 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 look for opportunities. Huh. So. Yeah, I appreciate what you're saying about that. That's because you're right. I think a lot of times, you know, I I would have never, you know, obviously you appear different than me, and I know that there are going to be challenges, but I never think about it when I'm when I'm stepping into a car. I get into a car. I don't think about how am I going to get in this car mm -hmm. or if, if I have, if I'm going somewhere with people and they invite me, I want to be the one driving, you know, I don't think, uh, and I appreciate yeah. even what you're saying about that. Can you take us back even a little bit? Cause 
I, I can imagine, you know, growing up at a different eye level at the door <laughs> as a, a doorknob eye level, as you, as you call it. I, I can imagine that process when you were younger, maybe being even difficult. Um, tell us a little bit about your growing up, some of the challenges you faced, maybe with people and okay. uh, and maybe even some of your early schooling and some of the a- adaptations. Maybe you I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you one I had when I was in, uh, I guess, middle school, elementary school and middle school. Uh, I used a wheelchair at, sc- at school most of the time. Uh, it wasn't that I wasn't capable of walking. The wheelchair afforded some some level of protection yeah. there. But I'll tell you an interesting story that happened. Uh, there was a young man who came to school there when I was in eighth grade, and I'm going to leave names out of this for obvious reasons. Uh, he decided pushing me in my wheelchair down the hallway would be fun because it could be like a battering ram. And I'm like, I'm scared to death of this kid. He'll kill me. And uh, this went on for a while, and, you know, that was when I was in the eighth grade. And then ninth grade, we moved to Auburn, so... That situation wasn't wasn't there anymore. Many, many years later, now fast forward, I'm having some work done on my house. And I was actually having some flooring replaced in the bathroom uh, because of some water damage that had had occurred. And so the flooring company said, we're going to send a plumber out there to replace the toilet. It's got to be take the toilet out, put it back in. The plumber turned out to be the young man that I went mm. to school with in the eighth grade. Interesting. And wow. I mean, this is like, wow. yeah. I'm in my 30s now, and this is like 20 years later at least, probably 25 years later. And so when I was a kid, most everybody called me Donnie. So he asked me, he saw me, and he was working on my, doing the plumbing stuff, and he said, are you Donnie Gardner? And I said, yeah, I am. And I said, you're and I called his name. He said, yep. And so I got like kind of quiet for a moment there. And he said, you know, back then I was kind of mean. And I said, well, we were kids, you know, let it go. I took that as the closest to an apology. It's 25 years yeah, later. Sure. I'm like, this kid scared the daylights out of me with some of the stuff. Fortunately, I never got hurt. But, you know, in, in looking back, Oh man, I can see the benefits of forgiveness. I mean, you know, I'm like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna worry about it. It's, it's water under the bridge, you know. Yeah. It happened. You were a kid. I was a kid. Uh, we were growing up. We were learning both of us. And the fact that he recognized years later, he remembered the things that he had done, and and that was really helpful. And it, uh, you know, I always had to be real careful because I had sometimes as a kid I had a smart mouth. And I, uh, you know, uh, and I had to be careful realizing that I could say things to kids and kids knew they couldn't hit me, you know, but that wasn't loud. And I'm like, you know, I had to be careful. I learned eventually not to use that disability and play that to my you know, benefit just because somebody couldn't hurt me. But uh, that was a challenge sometimes because there's a lot of those challenges with kids with disabilities that are no different than other kids. We, we learn to interact with people. Mm-hmm. It's just that you're coming from a different set of circumstances. And uh, so I had a lot of, I had a lot of experiences like that. The using the wheelchair, probably um, I had a couple of times I had fractures at school. That was always uh, T 
terrifying for my teachers, uh, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but you know, going back at my mom spent a lot of time at school, like when I would have surgeries, um, she would, it was beneficial for her to be there to help me do things between classes and things that I need to do, like going to the bathroom and stuff like that. And so uh, she uh, worked in, she a lot of time was volunteering in the school office yeah. or somewhere like that, just so she could be there on site. So uh, there was a lot of, there was a lot of things like that. Um, I think when I got to ninth grade, I started using a walker. My dad actually built the first walker that I had and uh, mm. did that for years. But it, it, to build them, I was still conduit. Holy and, uh, moly. Was wow. it not heavy? Yeah, they really were. They were the, the aluminum was or, or lighter, yeah. but it, it was bare minimum. There was no seat. There was no, a lot of that kind of stuff. But we were putting wheels on walkers long before that the health industry came along and said, hey, that's a good idea. And uh, I thought, I really think my dad should have patented yeah. that. Yeah, long yeah, ago. Sure. yeah, but, but my, my brother and I have a joke that my dad, and my brother, by the way, does not have a lot. My, uh, my dad could take anything and build anything out of steel conduit, plywood, and PVC. You put all that, he could put anything together with yeah. that. Uh, and uh, so uh, uh, he built the walkers out of steel conduit usually. And yeah, they were a little bit heavier than the ones I've got. Some of them others now, but uh, the, it was, uh, I was, I was blessed. I figured the Lord gave me parents who were equipped to do the things that I need to do. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the thing about it is they, um, I, I think the Lord, I just kind of throw a scriptural reference in here, but, you know, we talk about this passage of uh, uh, all scriptures inspired of God. Yeah. The last part of that scripture says that we will be fully furnished to all good works. That is, God gives us what we need to do what we need to do. I mean, he told the Apostle Paul when he was talking about the thorn in the flesh, he said, my grace is sufficient to you. I've given you what you need. Go do it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that to me, as I said, God, you know, it may be that what we want to do isn't what God wants us to do. That may be the problem. Yeah. Okay, but if we're doing what God wants us to do, He He gives us what we need. So, oh, so that's excellent. That's excellent. Um, Doc, you know the other part of this. I, I, you've always been an overcomer, overcomer, and have done some pretty amazing things. I, I I knew you probably wouldn't want to brag on yourself, but I wanted to. I think people need to know. Share maybe share some with our listeners of some of the achievements and honors you've received through your career, personal life. I mean, I know. I've got I know some notes in there, swimming goals, coaching baseball, engineering honors, et cetera. So maybe share a few of those things. Well, going back to the, the 1980s when I was in my 20s, I got started coaching uh, Little League Baseball. Coached the YMCA at first in Little League. I actually culminated in 19, I think it was 88. I served as the president of the local Little League down at McGuckin Park. And so I did mm-hmm. that. That was that was an amazing thing. Uh Especially to the fact I didn't have kids. I mean, but I, <laughs> I, but I loved I loved kids and I loved baseball and and that was kind of that's why this thing with the trash pandas has kind of been a throwback, hanging out at the ballpark. You know, that was the thing I did. I enjoyed doing, and so that's been the thing that's been kind of cool about that. But uh, yeah, I did. I actually spent about twelve years doing that, including one year as president. 
I coached a little bit of soccer, a little bit of basketball. I wasn't real good at basketball, not at all. I, but uh, baseball, we did okay. Soccer, we did pretty good. And um, I did all of that. The, as far as the awards thing is concerned, um, shortly after I stopped coaching, which was around 1993 or 94, uh, in 1995, I was selected as the Army, Army Handicapped Employee of the Year for the Department of Army and uh, got... Uh, Couple of couple of awards out of that that were really big. I'd actually been nominated for that award back in the early '80s, but didn't win. And um, but then I, I did win it in '95, and uh, that was really uh, something that was a uh, that was an amazing opportunity there uh, to go to D.C. My parents went with me. We went to Washington D.C. and uh, had a, a great opportunity there. We were at the uh, uh, Pentagon, and uh, mm. that's an, that in itself is an amazing building to be in, and so uh, that was really a, a, a tremendous honor. I, just the fact that I got to work as many years as I did in that industry and to interact with as many people over the years. Um, one of the interesting things I'll share though, um, toward the end of my career, the last two or three years there. I was uh, I was attending a meeting, a training session actually at the Embassy Suites downtown here in Huntsville, and a gentleman walked up to me, and he said, "You're Bruce, aren't you?" And I said, "No." And he got the, and then he got to talking about it, and come to find out, he knew another guy with OI who uh-huh. lived in San Diego. Oh wow. And he, the two of us looked so much alike. He thought I was Bruce, the guy. And, and uh, a brother, a brother, a brother from another mother. Huh? Yeah, yeah, really, really. Actually, unfortunately, um, Bruce and I stayed in touch a little bit on Facebook. It, it didn't dawn on me right at first what he was talking about. I now realize he was talking about me. But I thought, here we are, halfway across the country, and. Uh, he rec- he sees me and recognizes I've got OI, and he thinks I'm that guy. And um, but uh, uh, you know, it's, it's an interesting story uh, just because of the similarities of people with OI. Yeah. Like that. And how many miles have you swam? At the, is that the right? At yeah, the, that's the part oh, I'm, okay. in, I'm interested in the swimming thing. <laughs> yeah, the swimming thing. I started. Actually, most of my life I've swam off and on, but just not quite as rigorously as I have here. Um, in 2010, they opened the YMCA in Madison, and I started swimming there, but I wasn't really keeping track of how far I swam. Well, in 2012, they started this challenge, and they said, can you swim the distance across the English Channel, which was 21 miles, in the next four months? And I'm like, who knows? I have no clue. <laughs> I, I mean, that's a long way to swim, but I thought, four months? I don't know. So I thought, why not? Give it a shot. So I did, and I started keeping a, a log of every day that I swam. Well, in that four months, I made 32 miles, so I, I made my 21 miles. Oh, and hmm. the next year, that was 2012, 2013, I did 102 miles. I just barely made it. And the next couple of years, I kind of slapped off. I didn't do it quite as well. And somewhere along about 2016, they started doing every year a 100-mile swim challenge. Mm. 
and you sign up, the the award for that was a T-shirt. You know, that's it. You got a T-shirt. I'm going to tell you what, those T-shirts are like gold to me, you know. But in, in 2016, 17, 18, and 19, I got over 100 miles every year. 17, I did 150. And this year, last year, of course, the pandemic, um, the pool was shut down for two months, which didn't help. Uh, The other thing is, after we, after the pandemic, the lockdown was lifted, and I went back to the pool, we don't know what happened. I don't know if I had some inner ear damage or something, what happened, but I had some equilibrium issues. And so I kind of backed off for a while to give that some time to heal. And started wearing earplugs, which helped a little bit. And I went back to swimming. I wound up last year with 77 and a half. Oh, so man. it still went a good year. Um, this year, I got a shot at making that 150. I don't know that I will. I'm right now, yesterday, I passed 70 miles. Wow. And this is June. Yeah. I've still got another week. I can pick up two or three more miles this week. So, um, um, I'm a little, I'm a little behind the 150 pace, but I'm getting close. But the total thing, if I can make 135 this year, going all the way back to 2012 when I started that log, I would have at the end of this year 1,000 miles. Amazing. So I, yeah, it, it's kind of mind-boggling to me. It is. Um, I think it's the thing. I'm not so much proud of the distance as I am of the perseverance. Yeah. Because I'm basically getting in the pool four days a week. And I'm spending 60, 65, 70 minutes somewhere along there, a little over an hour in the pool. Uh, (laughs) And, yeah, that's a lot of work. There's no question about it. Um, But when I get out of that pool, I'm tired, but I feel good. There is something about knowing that you've accomplished something. Yeah. yeah. And that's what, that's really, a, it's an awesome feeling. Before we move on to the next topic, I, I, last but not least, Don helped found a upper basketball program here, uh, what, 15 years ago, 14 years 20. ago? 20 years ago. I'm, yeah. Years are going by quickly. But anyway, he was one of the founding directors for our upper basketball program for kids here. At well, Mayfair. I did not realize that. That was, um, cool. I did. Yeah, actually, me and Angela Mann and Randy were the three directors. Um, I had done the Little League thing probably about 15 years before that. And um, so I really never thought I would get back into it. In fact, I had somebody one time ask me about being president of the uh, one of the other local Little Leagues. And I said, no, no. She said, you answered that way too quickly. <laughs> and I said, well, it's like this. I would not take anything in the world for the experience that I got of doing that. But I'm not sure I'd do it again. <laughs> and, uh, so, um, but the upward basketball thing was, you know, the biggest problem there was, as Randy remembers, I went through two hip fractures during that time. Uh, and I don't think the upward basketball was any were related to that. I think it was just bad timing. Uh, they were both stress fractures. Uh, I think a lot of it was subject to getting older. Um, one of the things that I've learned to realize from that is that the aging process, we assume that 
your body deteriorates kind of steadily, a little bit at a time. Sometimes you hit major events in life, like a hip fracture, a heart attack, a stroke, where your body plunges and, and your your abilities, your physical abilities change drastically. And that's, you know, I think that was one of those cases for me, uh, the timing of it, because uh, I went through two hip fractures in two years. And actually, they were a total of 13 months apart. So you you've been through a lot, obviously, and and with this with this brittle brittle bone disease, you're you're going to obviously go through a lot, have been through a lot. Mm-hmm. But listening to you right now, it's so encouraging because I hear I hear how the strength in not being overcome by what what's been given to you. I, I'm interested to know what part has faith played and who are some people in your faith journey along the way this is kind of what this is all about right this is why we do this podcast is because we know that you you don't do that alone you do that there's some sort of faith journey that you've been on through this that god has you've even mentioned it earlier but what what how has faith played a significant role in 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 how you handle brittle bone disease, but not only brittle bone disease, the, the, the difficulty that comes with that. And even some of the people you have to deal with that come with, um, the issues along that, with that. Uh, well, first of all, I think, I think Randy mentioned this well ago about on my Facebook page, I have a, a phrase on there that says, I'm just a sheep following the good shepherd. Uh, I, I really believe that's what we are doing in our lives. God has plans for us. Um, I heard a friend of mine many years ago was preaching a guy I went to school with. He said that, um, he said, I believe there's a lot of blessings out there that we haven't seen, haven't received that God wanted us to have because we didn't ask for them. We never reached out. We never looked for them, you know. In other words, God's got things out there if we'll just, if we'll follow, if we'll go the direction he's going. One of the things I have looked at in my life is this. Anytime I had a fracture, what I would call a major fracture that took me off my feet, it was a crossroads in my life. It changed something in some way. Um, I'll give you an example of one. When I was a freshman in college, I underwent a major uh, surgical procedure. Uh, my lower legs, the tibias, the lower bones in your shin bones, and what we call shin bones, okay, they were very badly bowed, okay? There was a concern about if I continued my, through my life trying to walk on them, how long would they hold up before they would break because they were bowed so bad. But there was a surgical procedure they can do that, okay? This is not a simple process. It's a major ordeal. Um, they waited till I was 18 because they wanted me to get my maximum growth part yeah, where I was fully, gr- yeah. fully grown. Yeah. The reason that procedure is so um, involved is I'll just tell you what some people in the medical field refer to the procedure. It's a shish kebab. They put a metal rod in there and rebuild the leg around really? that metal rod. Wow. That's that's a major deal. They did both my legs in two and a half hours, which mind-boggling to me. Um, but here's here's why that's so important. That put me back on my feet. I'm walking and all that. 
bear in mind, this was when I was a freshman in college. I was 18 years old. I'm 62 now. Those legs are still holding up yeah. out all these years, with one exception. My senior year in college, my mom realized we've been going back and forth to the doctor to follow up visits, you know, to follow up sure. with the doctor. Sure. She knew that once I got away from home, I wasn't going to do that. So we made one last trip. It was December of 1980, if I'm not mistaken. And the doctor puts the x-rays up there, and my jaw dropped. The rod inside my right femur, right tibia, was broken. But the bone was intact. And I'm like, okay, if the rod's broken, it's supposed to reinforce the bone. That ain't going to happen now. (laughs) And I'm looking at the doctor, and I'm going, "Um, you got a way to get that out without re-breaking the bone, don't you? And he said, nope. I'm like, okay, I'm six months from graduation. I'm searching for a job, so I'll have a job when I get out of school. And you're telling me I got to go back in the hospital to have surgery again. And I'm like, bad timing. Well, God took that and used that as a crossroads. And I'm firmly convinced that my being in Huntsville, Alabama was because of that. And here's the reason. Given the fact I w- we decided to do the surgical procedure in, during spring break. So instead of being on the beach in Florida, I'm in the hospital doing surgery mm-hmm. in spring break. Um, in the meantime, from Christmas, during December, until that surgery in, in, during spring break, I started taking every single jo- uh, interview I could get for a job. One of them on the list was the job that Randy was talking about that brought me to Huntsville. Procter and Gamble. That, that was not on my list originally. I did not plan. What I actually wanted to do, I had been in Montgomery for two years at Alabama Christian. I wanted to go back to Montgomery to work. Yeah. God didn't have any job offers for me in Montgomery. <laughs> it wasn't happening the way I wanted. God wanted me back. I'm convinced he wanted me back in Huntsville again. For whatever reason, I don't know. But he did. And so... It meant surgery to break that leg and re-heal it. Fortunately, it healed fairly quickly this time. I mentioned the first procedure about being involved. I was in walking cast. There's kind of cast that come up, yet yeah. you're still walking them. I was in there from June until December of that year, six months. Holy moly. I mean, that was, like I said, the ordeal. Now, the second time around, the procedure was a lot simpler because the bone... All they had to do was remove the rod and replace the rod. So it healed much faster. And by by June of that year, I walked across the stage and got my diploma at Auburn. Wow. I, was, I was already out of the cast and everything was going good. Um, but those legs have carried me a lot of miles since that procedure. Um, but I, I honestly believe that God used that as a crossroads to get me where he wanted me to be. And... You know, there's been so many other times in life that um, I wind up in places where because of a fracture, in fact, we were talking about the hip fractures a while ago. Um, I went through that first hip fracture, and I realized that getting back on my feet was not going to be as easy 
In fact, my doctor was not guaranteeing me that I was ever going to walk again. And I had to come to grips with that. And then when the second hip fracture came along, of course, that didn't make things any better. Uh, but at that point in time, I made the decision that the house I had, I had a little three-bedroom house that I used to like to refer to as my, my humble abode among men. And uh, that, that house... It was just really not as accessible as I needed at that point. Mm -hmm. And so I put it on the market, sold it, and bought a condominium out in Madison. And I've been there now 18 years. And I don't think I would have made that decision had it not been for that hip fracture. Because I really needed to make a change in my lifestyle. The neighborhood I'm in, the, the just the whole situation there... Um, it, the house has been ideal for me. Uh, I'm I'm glad I made that decision. I think it was. I, I again, I thank God for whatever reason was redirecting me a little bit. Uh, and sometimes we don't make the right decisions because we don't know what those decisions are. And then sometimes our hand is forced mm -hmm. because of health things and things that happen. And so I think there's a uh, probably a lot of times in my life that I didn't even think about where I made decisions that I had never considered uh, because God, uh, you know, all I was doing was following where God was going to take me. And uh, thankfully, I haven't had any major fractures in quite a few years. Uh, but uh, I know I can remember times when, like when I went through the hip fracture, after things kind of calm down and you're trying to recuperate, thinking, okay, God, where are we going with this? Mm -hmm. You know, my life's about to change. Yeah. The pandemic has done that for a lot of us. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you know, I don't think doing church will ever be the same no. as it was before. We're doing things differently a little bit. Sometimes because of the health things related. I'm not so sure that's all bad. I think we've opened up opportunities for digital worship and classes and things. The technology's been there all along. Yeah. We just didn't see a need to use it. Right. And then all of a sudden, the pandemic comes along and says, hey, we got something here. And, and, and just like this podcast, I have no idea who's listening to all this. How many people are going to hear this? Right. And, and God knows and God's got an opportunity to use that in, in whatever way He can. He can. Which kind of brings me to this question, Don. You know, as we kind of kind of close down here in a few minutes, you know, there's people probably listening to this broadcast. They might not be struggling with OI, but they are facing stuff in their life, and they they, they feel like it's like a dead end. They don't know where, where to turn. And what what are some words you would say to them that people that may be listening are facing a physical or maybe an emotional challenge or a spiritual challenge in their life and they don't know what to do and how God how God's going to be able to help them in all this? You know, one of the things I mentioned earlier about is the life expectancy thing for people to know. I, I don't know. Uh, you know, I've known a lady that lived to be 79. I've had a friend tell me of some people that lived into their 80s. I'm 62 now. And, and doing pretty good, and I try to, uh, the exercising, like the swimming and all, diet, nah, maybe not so much. <laughs> uh, 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 you know, but the thing about it is, from the time we are born, our bodies are starting to deteriorate. 
You know, in other words, we're we're there's a time for every one of us when we're going to leave this earth. Now we don't know when that time is going to be, but the way I look at it is this: whatever situations we live with, eighty or ninety years on this earth, compared to the glory that we enjoy for eternity, is absolutely amazing. One of uh, I know everybody has a favorite song. I don't know. Maybe I'm a little different, but I have a favorite verse to a favorite song. But the last verse of Amazing Grace says, When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, mm-hmm. we've no less days to praise, sing God's praise than when we first began. Mm-hmm. That's amazing to me. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, 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 when I was a kid, I always look forward to the first day of vacation, not just because it was vacation, because I had all those future days to look forward to. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just the day. The last day of vacation is good, too, but it's not <laughs> as great as the first day right. because there's knowing that the, I've got the rest to look forward to. There's anticipation yeah. of what, well, we as Christians need to anticipate heaven. We need to look forward to it. That doesn't mean I want to go right now. Right. But we need to anticipate it, that it's that it's going to be there and that it's going to be as glorious. And and I'm, I'm one of these people that fully believes that what descriptions that we have in heaven, of heaven in the Bible, are probably God's way of comparing it in terms that we understand. Uh, I've used an illustration in Bible class before. If you took someone who lived in a third world country that had very meager means and you describe for them the homes that some of us live in, hardwood floors, ceramic tile, crown molding, granite countertops, what would they think? They would have, they would be clueless. Yeah, they would have no idea what you're talking about. I think heaven is so glorious that there are no words that God could use to picture let us picture what it's going to be like. Yeah, and and that's what I'm looking for. And and you know, like I said, I'm not. It's not like I'm planning on going today. I hope not. But at the time, thing is, I'm living this life on Earth, knowing that whatever hardships I face here is nothing compared to the glory that I'm going to experience when I get home with the God. Yeah. And I appreciate your perspective on all that. You know, you've talked about crossroads a lot and, and I appreciate your faith as you've gone through what you've been given, right? We've all been given a set of whatever it is, right? And some people it's not physical. Some people it's emotional. Some people, you know, there are people that are listening to this that may be like, this is my thing you know, whatever this is. And I appreciate you saying those, that's, that's a crossroads. Yeah. We have choices at those crossroads and there are certain crossroads that we're going to choose. We're going to choose to go through it. We're going to choose to stop. And I appreciate how yeah. you've talked about that. You know, uh, I think, you know, one of the things that I'm learning more and offer, I don't, I will say my mental health is pretty good. I don't know. There may be, there may be some people that question that. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, I know I've got, I've had friends that I know that had mental health issues. One thing I do realize is this. Um, 
in addition, part of the, the thing with my OI is also my hearing loss. One thing that I have realized many, many years ago, I would much rather have a handicap that is visible, like OI, than one that is potentially invisible, like a hearing loss, because or mental illness. Because if you can, if somebody can see me, and they see that I'm trying to push a heavy door open, they understand that I need help. Right. But somebody with mental illness, we may not understand they need help. Oh, that's so. That's such a good point. And and they suffer in silence. And and the one of the things that I've struggled with, I really have pr- prayer. Um, I know Jason Bobby used a lesson one time about. Uh, wrestling in prayer it talks yeah. uh, uh, in the book of Colossians and I think I wrestle that knowing sometimes people who struggled with uh, maybe some um, mental issues or whatever depression or whatever it might be and as a general rule I've had sure I've had some circumstantial times when I was down in the dumps but thankfully they didn't last indefinitely um, but you know, there's a lot of people out there that go through uh, that situation day in and day out. Mm-hmm. Their life is it's just a roller coaster sometimes. And uh, I try to, I'm, I'm working on trying to be more patient and understanding. Uh, I'm not always good at it. I, it's, I'm a work in progress there. Well, but I believe that, that those people in this world who are dealing with issues that uh, where they need help, I guess I wish more people would, would, would be open and say, hey, I need help, ask for help. Um, I learned a long time ago, uh, especially when after I went to those hip fractures and I was on the, the, I rode a scooter around for a while when I was off my feet, I began to learn to ask for help when I needed it. It wasn't always easy to do. I used to always be, I, when I was a young guy in my 20s, this was really chauvinistic and shallow-minded of me. I didn't want a woman opening the door for me because I wanted to be, because I thought as a guy, that's my job. Yeah. It didn't matter that the door was bigger than I was. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I, you know, I've come to line up to put my pride aside. <laughs> and and if, if I need help, ask. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's, it's not always easy to do, though, I, I know. Well, that, I appreciate you coming on here. If somebody wants to know more about OI, how how might they how might they find out about there? And and if, and if somebody has an interest in reaching out to you, you um, okay. um, how might they? Okay. Uh, first of all, the OI there's a foundation. It's located in Maryland. Uh, it's called OIF.org. That's osteogenesis. O imperfecta I. Foundation.org, OIF.org. Uh, there's all kinds of information on there. As far as me, um, I'll just keep my email address. Yeah. Too, is DonGardner2 at gmail.com. Pretty yeah. simple. Um, so, you know, re- be willing to reach out to me. Uh, if you're on Facebook, I believe mine is open pretty much to anybody because sometimes I get some friend requests from. Who knows where? All over the place sometimes. Uh, not always the most desirable sometimes. <laughs> but uh, but uh, certainly reach out to me. If you're going to send me a recipe Facebook, um, 
maybe send me a private message and let me know yeah. why so that I don't think it's somebody just uh, stalking or whatever. Yeah. So, but, uh, or you can reach out to me with the DonGerger2 at gmail.com. But uh, I'll be happy to talk to anybody and uh, I uh, look forward to uh, uh, hearing from anybody that's got any questions. Don, we really thank you for, for doing this today and joining us to share your story, just some of your story and your faith journey. And uh, I, I mean, I know God's continuing to use you, I, uh, even in retirement, to impact others in so many ways. And I think even this podcast can be a blessing to the well, listeners. I, I, I appreciate you guys inviting me. I, I was really excited when I heard you guys were doing this. I think I hope they asked me to be on here for a <laughs> So because to me, it's a great opportunity. I always Amen. cherish the opportunity to do something like this. Well, I think I, I think this goes maybe for other people listening as well. If if you have a faith journey story, we'd love to talk to you about it and possibly even get you on here because really the reason we've done this is is for this so that people can listen and know one they're not alone. Two, to see how God is at work and see how he works through all situations. And, uh, you know, our stories of brokenness, struggle and failures and sin help others know that that they're not alone. And so that while while we as a church are imperfect and broken, God has the ability to take our stories and to make them the story that shines a light back on Jesus. And that's a beautiful thing. Um, again, Don, thanks for being on here. And I hope for those listening that you will find confidence in knowing that God can and will use your story uh, if you're willing to share it. We'd appreciate your comments and feedback on Unbroken Jars podcast. You can leave those comments or feedback at unbrokenjars at gmail.com. Please understand that our goal is always to honor God by the experiences of real life stories and real faith that you hear on this podcast. May God bless your life as you live out your story of real faith in your own setting.